0: Well good morning, God is good, all the time. and all the time, God is good. wow, look at this! This is nice. this is nice. this uh, kind of reminds me uh, as we kind of work through what we 're working through right now. a um, couple things uh, to help you who are starting to regather with us um, there is there is a, a bit of a balance we have on Sunday mornings, and that is that we have a wonderful uh, part of our church family on the live stream. So hello, live stream uh, church family. Uh, you are part of this. So what happens, just so you know, is that at 10 a.m., uh, the live stream will kick on. And that's why if you were in here, you know, we try to get your attention lovingly. The lights flash. There's a 30-second countdown. I went out and said, hey, Tyler, uh, we got to get them in. It's 9.57. So just so you know, um, you know, this is church in 2020. And we're trying to do the best we can, and we're not trying to make it like a production. Uh, during the summer, uh, if you didn't hear, you know, when we couldn't meet, there was, there was probably two months where I would preach a sermon, and it would be me in the entire facility with a camera right there. And I had to learn how to preach a sermon with nobody here. And um, for the most part, you know, it went okay, except for the one Sunday. I preached my heart out, when went down to the camera, and forgot to plug in the cord to get the audio. (laughs) So I took a a few cups of water and said, here we go again. And I went round two immediately afterwards. Uh, So there is this element of a learning curve. Uh, As Mark said, um, you know, this is tough for all of us. And it's challenging. And there's a part of us that always wants to go back But quite frankly, uh, if we will let that go and live in the present and seek the Lord for the future, you'll find freedom. You'll find freedom. You might be uh, sanctified in your growth, right? Uh, I can't go to uh, my pastoral library and say, Where's that binder that says do church in a pandemic? I can't, there's no binder that I can pull and say, This is how you do this. Uh, How do you do children's? How do we do youth? We're still. Looking at youth, right? We have a heart for the teens that need to be connected in the valley. Uh, every aspect. There's a newness, and it's kind of exciting. It's, it's exciting to, to see, uh, you know, the Bible would call it new wineskins. Um, but how many of us like change? Nope. It was funny because some of you came through the door this morning looking for your chair, and it wasn't there, <laughs> right? Because it's six feet apart, and you're like... Do I go forward or do, do I go back? Because my chair was right here, and I'm right in the middle. So it's new, some of you, right? Travis, new season. He's sitting on this side of this. Yes, new neck muscles are being exercised as we speak because he's, he was over there. He was on that side, right? Here's the good news, too. If you're able to come, you got dibs on seats. You can you can move around freely, you know? Uh, it's just part of it. So we have to kind of embrace this uh, with a sense of adventure, okay, a sense of newness, um, a sense of understanding that we all um, have been uncomfortable, and, and we all have deeply held paradigms, I believe, worldviews, you know, what is church, and this is how we do church, and, you know, then we kind of, if we're not careful, we pull out checklists, and, and I even pull out my own checklists, and... And then in our scorecards. And sometimes the, the most freeing thing is just, just to go. You know, sometimes we would take uh, teens, when I was in youth ministry, we would take teens on a, on a camping trip. And camping trip, they would always want to know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And our literal uh, theme as a leaders would be, it's on a need-to-know basis. But what's next? What's next? I said, that's on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know right now. I want Because the purpose is that I want you to stay in the present. I want you to stay in the present. I want you not to miss what's right here. Because if I tell you what's going to happen an hour from now, you may or may not like it, and you're gonna start living there, and you're gonna miss what God has for you in the present. So sometimes I look at this pandemic as you know, God's like, it's on a need-to-know basis. Keep seeking me, keep praying, keep getting counsel, keep getting input, and he'll lead us and guide us, amen? Through this. And and look where we are. Look where we are. So, um, thank you for your patience again with the live stream and the live stream probably it's something we prayed about we didn't know it would take the pandemic to get it up to the technology that we wanted but the live stream is always going to be there so hello Arizona and Redding and San Diego and Russia wherever you're watching from Um, it's phenomenal but we have a bit of now a a different start right because we're such a loving church family and we like to talk and gather and everything And so at 10 o'clock, if you can help us out, just know we're going to need to kind of have a bit of a hard start uh, out of respect to those at the live stream, okay? Uh, This morning, we're going to continue our series through Ephesians, and we're going to start off at Ephesians 4.1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to Christians in Ephesus, urge you, Christians, believers, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling." To which you have been called. Okay, so we're walking through Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, doctrinal truths, incredible, you know, positional truths, our identity, who we are in Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 is basically, okay, now that you've heard all of this, I want you to walk in a way that your walk and talk are balanced. Your belief and your behavior, okay? How you live your life should be in balance, that's what he say, walk worthy, it's scales that are balanced, your walk should balance who you are in Christ, what you believe. Okay, and then in verses 20 to 24, we saw the process of how do we do this, where well, we put off the old man, who we were before we knew Jesus, we put on continuously the new man, which is called what? Sanctification. Okay, until we go home uh, to meet Jesus, we're all in sanctification, all right? And so lately we've been starting in verses 25 to 32. We've been looking at some very practical ways, practical things in our life that we're to put off and put on. So I'm just going to read this passage to kind of introduce the context for today. It says, uh, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Talked about lying, right? Verse 26, be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We talked about how to handle anger biblically, right? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We talked about that last week. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear? All right, so question right because we're to be hearers and not hearers and doers right Last week we talked about what comes out of your mouth And in verse 30 it's uh, verse 29 says let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear so question this past week Did you measure your words before you spoke? Right? We saw... Amen. We got a yes. All right. So we saw last Sunday, there were four measurements. Is this... Is is what I'm about to say corrupting? Is it rotten? Is it decaying? Does it give that atmosphere like, woo? right? Uh, Another measurement. Does it build up? What am I... What I'm about to say, is it going to build this person up or tear them down? Does it fit the occasion? Does it give grace to the hearers? Okay? Just that one verse... If you want transformation, that one verse again, don't forget it just because we're moving forward. Measure your words. There were four measurements. And then think back this week. Just think. Conversations you had at work, at home, with your friends. What kind of words were, that came out? What kind of words? Okay? And then we're going to move forward this week in verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we're going to focus on verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So what do we learn? Real quick. Real quick. Two things we learn about the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Which means the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is not some power. It's not like Star Wars. You know, may the force be with you. It's not like may the Holy Spirit be with you, right? The Holy Spirit is not like Casper the Ghost, you know? And and, and years ago, uh, I did a series on the Holy Spirit. And maybe we'll bring it back because... By golly, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in me, you. You should know. <laughs> you should know about the Holy Spirit. So, in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So, the Holy Spirit is a person, it's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit has personality, the Holy Spirit can feel. Very important, because many of us, again, in our daily walk, tend to look at the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force or power that enables us to do God's will, okay? Very important. Holy Spirit is a person, has personality, right? Uh, Brian Chapel says this, the same spirit who convicts my heart of sin generates in me love for God, gives me new birth, provides my apprehension of the beauty of grace in the world and seals my redemption until the coming of my Lord, this same spirit who loves me so intimately and perfectly, I can cause to grieve. Hmm. I can cause to grieve. And then the second half of uh, verse 30 says, By whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. If you know anything about sealing. We talked about this before. Uh, say, you know sometimes the kings back in the day would have rings. Signet rings. Right? And they would seal things. They would get a piece of clay. And the, 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 ring, the king would put his ring into the clay. And he would leave his mark. Right? He would seal it. Okay? Uh, it denotes ownership. Uh, you know usually done by putting into wax or clay. Right? Uh, some examples in Daniel. In Daniel 6, if you were to look there, you would see that they sealed the mouth of the lion's den. Okay, it was sealed. Anyone know? Where else did they seal? What else, what else big? The tomb. The tomb to make it secure. They sealed it. And some believe what they did is they put, you know, wax or clay here and here, hung a cord and said, boop, boop. And when they sealed it with the ring, it said, under penalty of death, do not touch this. Under penalty of death. Do not touch this. Okay? It denotes security, ownership. Okay? It's interesting. In 2015, I came across, uh, they found an, uh, a lump of clay of the southern wall of the Temple Mount uh, with the ring from King Hezekiah. And I think there's a picture that will come up, right? Pretty fascinating. Here's a lump of clay with an impression, and that in Hebrew it says, Belonging to Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah amazing. Even archaeology. Right? Boom. King Hezekiah's ring. He had stamped it. This belongs to me. Right? Why is that significant for us? Right? Well, it says in verse 30 that you, if you're a believer, you were sealed for the day of redemption. Again, what is seal? what does it mean to be sealed? Mark of ownership, security. Okay? Back in Ephesians 1, it says this, In whom you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen? What does that mean? It means the moment you put your faith in Jesus, boom, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you as God's mark that you are his child. Amen? You, you are sealed. A guarantee. Ephesians 1:14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? You know, I love that because in this pandemic world, there's so many things that change so radically, right? People are losing jobs and finances and homes and things are so in upheaval. I praise God that as a believer, I know that my salvation is guaranteed. We are marked. We are marked. That's powerful. It gives a great sense of peace. Now, here's the challenge. And, and knowing that, how do we live our lives? Okay? So there's an application. One is, if you've ever wondered about eternal security and can you lose your salvation, this is, these verses are very strong. Very strong in the position that once you're a believer, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, your salvation is secure. Okay? The second part of the application is, well, then how do we live our lives? Because we celebrate that, but we have to be very careful because uh, some people have taken that and said, Well, I'm sealed. Inheritance is guaranteed. Live it up! Right? Yeah, right? That's, that, was the, that was the criticism against the Apostle Paul in Romans when he came with the gospel of grace. Right? And he's like, it's grace, unmerited favor. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works. And they're like, right, what does it say in Romans 6? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? What, there's this big word called antinomianism. Antinomianism means anti-law. So what they're saying is that, well, because there's no more law, party time! Because we're sealed and God's grace will cover everything, right? And He says in Romans six one and two, wrong. If that's your view of sin, you got to check your salvation. Because when you're born again and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're given a new nature, and you don't want to sin. Your heart is to honor God, to love God through obedience. So well, if you're thinking that, you know, I said a prayer and I got, you know, I'm sealed and I got my fire insurance in the back of my pocket so I can live it up, you got to check yourself. That's not, that's not grace and that's not what we're saying here, right? That doesn't mean that's not the application of being sealed, right? The other spectrum, so you have antinomianism here where license to sin and we saw in Romans 6, nope, that's not it. The other one, and this is where we have to be careful too, is that it's what I call as in, under the new covenant, right, being saved by grace, that if we're not careful, we have in the church created what I call a new covenant law. And this is what I mean. We all, how many of you like the real practical parts of scripture, right? What to do's, right? We like the doctrine, but then we like to get to the good stuff, what we call the good stuff. So Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, real doctrinal truths. Yeah, yeah, amen, amen. But Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Or, or in Galatians or in Philippians. We like the real practical stuff of our faith. Here's what I want to challenge you and ask you to really guard against, is that even in the church, we create can create what I call a new covenant law which is where we become so heavy on the do's and don'ts under the new covenant that it becomes a new law to us. And now, rather than living out of relationship, we're now living about a new set of rules. And we begin to maybe become legalistic, duty-bound, we lose our joy... Because now we're measuring ourselves by a bunch of rules all over again, but it, we'll celebrate. Oh, no more Mosaic law! But now we just created the new covenant law, and if we're not careful, we miss the joy of being sealed. The relational component. We have to be very careful because if you're living here under what I call the new covenant laws of a bunch of do's and don'ts, da 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 da. Not only will it kill your joy, right? it also can kind of kill your witness because rather than sharing the good news of the gospel of grace, you're now just kind of laying burdens on others as you share the, well, you know, as a Christian, we don't do this and we don't do that. And now you've flipped it and you're kind of living as a good moral person, what I call moralism. Okay? So being sealed with the Holy Spirit, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit is not a license to sin and it shouldn't create a new covenant law what is it it's relationship it is 100% this new covenant supernatural crazy to understand relationship with the living god right and that's why it's important this verse that many of us may have skipped over when it says do not grieve the holy spirit of god it's really interesting in that passage Twenty-five to thirty-two. He's saying, "Hey, don't lie. Be honest. Right? Uh, measure your words." And then after this verse, he says, "Let all bitterness, anger, There's all these real practical things." But right in the middle, like right in the middle, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You're like, "What?" Uh, full stop. Do not what? Practical, 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 practical. Do not grieve. Practical, practical, practical. You right in the middle of this practical list. He says, oh, and by the way, it's personal. By the way, this isn't just, Christianity isn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts. Bad Christian, you told a lie. Bad Christian, you said a bad word. Bad Christian, oh, bad Christian. Or good Christian, you did this. And good Christian, he says, no, 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 no. Your faith, your following of Jesus is relational. And this verse, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, kind of we're going to focus on we have to get this right? Stephen Cole says this. This verse distinguishes Christian ethics from every other ethical system. Other religions have ethical standards, but none of them command their followers not to sin because their sin grieves God. And Paul is not appealing to his readers to adhere to a certain moral standard simply because it is the right thing to do. Rather, He appeals to them on the basis of their personal relationship with a loving God. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Through faith in Christ, you enter into a personal relationship with the triune God. His spirit now dwells within you. Your body is his temple. On the basis of these facts, Paul exhorts you to glorify God in your body. Sin strains the personal relationship that you are now to enjoy with the loving, indwelling spirit of God. Think about that. What sets Christianity apart is that what we do and don't do is based on a loving relationship with our God, not fear of lightning bolts. That really is powerful. We have to get that, right? Because we're indwelt by this Holy Spirit. It's a personal thing. It's a personal relationship. So this word grieve, okay? depending on your age and life experience it may be a common word maybe a bit of a challenge what does it mean to grieve it means to afflict with deep sorrow or distress to break someone's heart to wound them deeply that's to grieve someone right now if you're a parent distinction here you've had kids you know as a parent what it is to be angry with your son or daughter's choices. But as a parent, you know the huge distinction to be grieved by your son or daughter's choices. Right? Isn't a big difference? I'm a father of five, and my kids can attest to the times I've been angry. But usually, my grief, I've not really shown them much grief. Big difference be angry with someone and then to grieve right and that we, we, we have to get this because the Bible says in this verse that we by our choices can grieve the Holy Spirit and why is that important because I think a lot of us, maybe from our upbringing, we're used to people being mad at us. And even in the church, maybe we're used to God being mad at me or God being disappointed in me or God not being happy with me because I know what I did isn't pleasing. So it's kind of strange that even in our own faith and in our relationships, we kind of get used to people being angry with us Right? How many of you kind of know the mantra, well, do it and ask for forgiveness after? Right? (laughs) Why? Because we can weather someone being mad. We get used to someone being mad. Oh, man, yeah, uh, yeah, so-and-so, they're going to be mad again, but I know what they're going to say, and I'm just going to nod and feel bad, and then it'll blow over. We kind of have gotten used in our culture to people being mad at us. We've actually even gotten used in the church, I think, to God being mad. Somewhat always ticked, a little bit ticked. And somehow we become numb to that, and we use that to excuse. Somehow the word grace, we've, we've, we've morphed into God, God winks at some sin. He doesn't wink at any sin. He's holy, holy, holy. But we've morphed it, and we've gotten kind of used in our culture to mom, dad, teacher, coach, whatever, BFF, being somewhat mad at me, but they'll get over it. What is really different in our culture is, dude, I grieved them. I grieved them. That's powerful. Ray Pritchard says this, the word grieve comes from a Greek word that signifies deep emotion. You can only grieve a close friend or a loved one. You can't grieve a stranger you meet on the street, you can irritate a stranger, or you can offend a casual acquaintance, but you can only grieve someone very close to you. As usual, Paul's advice is both practical and profound. We tend to talk a lot about interpersonal problems as if the greatest issue in life is how we relate to other people, but verse 30 reminds us that our primary relationship is always with God. Right? In Genesis 39, you know the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce Joseph. And, and, and Joseph, right, he says in Genesis 39, 9, My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You see, Joseph is like not trying to rationalize it. He's like, no, I can't do this because it's a sin against God. Right? In that song that we sang earlier, right? Creating me a clean heart, when it says, Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, right? That's old covenant, where the Holy Spirit would kind of come and go. But David's heart in that issue is, I don't want to lose your Holy Spirit. I don't want to lose your presence. I don't want to lose your presence. See, he he was concerned about his sin and how the sin was impacting his relationship with God. Right now in the New Covenant, we know, again, we just learned the Holy Spirit seals us, okay? So that that verse is really an Old Covenant Psalm 51 song. But the the point is the same. How many of us go about our day and the primary concern is how this is going to impact God? Is what I'm about to do or say going to grieve God? Not, well, if I do this, God's going to be mad again. Um, Here we go, and just, yep, me, me, the one that gets God mad for the umpteenth time today. God's going to be mad, but he'll get over it. Right? Rick Renner says this, I found that this word was taken from the Greek word lupete. This surprised me because the word lupete is from the word lupe, which denotes a pain or grief that can only be experienced between two people who deeply love each other. The word lupe would normally be used to picture a husband or wife who has discovered his or her mate has been unfaithful. As a result of this unfaithfulness, the betrayed spouse is shocked, devastated, hurt, wounded, and grieved because of the pain that accompanies unfaithfulness. This tells us, first of all, that the relationship that exists between us and the Holy Spirit is precious. The Holy Spirit is deeply in love with us. But when we act like the world talk like the world, behave like the world, and respond the same way the world does, we cause the Spirit of God to feel shock, hurt, and grief. You see, when we deliberately do what is wrong, we drag him right into the mire of sin with us because he lives in us and goes wherever we go. Wow. He goes wherever we go. We compartmentalize things into our life. Oh, no, this is just me. I'm just going to go do this. I'm just going to look at this on the internet. And we forget the impact that might be having on the Holy Spirit. But we'll celebrate his presence. We'll celebrate being the temple. We'll celebrate, right? And yet we'll say something flippantly without even a thought about how that's impacting the Holy Spirit Did that just grieve you, God, Did that just grieve you, right? There was a time uh, growing up uh what junior high, high school uh, I was pretty pretty out there, pretty rebellious, pretty much doing my own thing, and um pretty much learned the weather, you know. Anger that would come my way and the restrictions and the, you know, the punishments. Uh, but, you know, I was pretty much good to go. You know, I just wanted to do my thing and I didn't know the Lord and living for myself and my buddies and girlfriends, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, kind of just doing my thing. And I'll never forget, I was, uh, I think, 15, 15, going on 16. And I made this decision, a choice I did. And this choice looked like it was going to have consequences for me and my whole family, really. Uh, consequences that were not in line with how we were raised. And without going into a lot of detail, there came a point where um, the choice that I had made, uh, the consequences were going to come out. It wasn't. It wasn't going to be able to hide it anymore. And so me being me, and you know, I'm like, wow, I I think I gotta come clean, I gotta come clean with my parents here, specifically my mom. And so we sat down, and I said, Mom, this is what's going on, this is what I did, and this this is the situation. And I'll never forget, I was braced for the wave of anger. But I wasn't prepared for the wave of grief. In fact, it was very little anger and a whole lot of grief. And it, it stopped me because I think for the first time as an as a independent, rebellious, that for myself, teenager, I saw my mom differently. And I understood that she's a human being with feelings and that she loved me and what I had done, maybe she was angry, but she was more grieved out of love. And I'll never forget that moment, and I've carried it with me, and, and it was, um, I think, even a greater check as I went through my teen years, am I going to grieve parents, not just am I going to make them angry again, not just am I going to get punished again, but when I literally saw my mom's grief, over something I had done, it impacted me in a way that just shook me, and I think we just need as a church sometimes to have that moment of realization that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. We're used to maybe this image of God being this angry principle, angry entity in the sky, ready to throw lightning bolts and ready to, you know, just have his wrath. And somehow I think, whether it's tradition or culture, we get used to that picture of God. I'm not so sure we're used to the grieving God. I'm not so sure. Um, we understand the depth of his love and that he grieves because he loves us so deeply. And and I I was just like, Lord, you know, there's teaching here, but if this message this morning is just teachy and we go and we leave here and we say, Well, checkbox, God can be grieved and Holy Spirit can be grieved, and we're sealed. Great sermon. I learned something today then we completely miss today. So I just ask you a personal question. Ask you at home a personal question. Think back this week, or maybe think right now. Is there something in your, in your life, in your walk with the Lord, right now, that is grieving the Holy Spirit? Is there something that you've excused something you've rationalized. You kind of know he's angry. You kind of know it's disobedience. But you never framed it in terms of grieving him. Is there something? It was very interesting. I Two days ago as I was finishing up this, I was like, Lord, I don't know if I could preach this because I can't go up there and talk about and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. (laughs) If I got stuff in my life that's grieving you, that's complete hypocrisy. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to tell everyone here at church and I'm going to tell everyone on live stream, hey, Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And he's like, well, before you go up there and open your mouth, me and you got to have a little talk here, pastor, pastor, And it was, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, when you when you sit down long enough and quiet enough and you say, God, am I grieving you? Am I just excusing some sinful behavior, some disobedience? Am I just rationalizing it? Am I just pointing at others? God, is there something in my life where honestly I'm just like grieving you? Because I don't want to. I don't want to grieve you, God. I don't want to grieve you. And it's not that we're going to be perfect and not ever grieve him. The point is on the front end. On the front end of the choices you're going to make for the rest of this day and tomorrow and today, are on the front end, is it, God, I don't want you to be angry at me. It's like, God, I don't want to grieve you. And if you sin and he convicts you, if the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, why do we make it right? Not just because he's angry, we make it right because we've grieved him. You see the difference? We're not just here to placate an angry, wrathful God. We're here in a loving relationship. And I don't know about you, but if I did something to grieve someone I loved, that would be a lot different way that I would reconcile than just say, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you're mad. I'm sorry. No. If I grieved someone that I really loved, man, it would change the whole way I came at them to make it right, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? It's just like change everything to understand how much God loves you, how much the Holy Spirit loves you. And when you make a choice that grieves Him, that's why some of you maybe are feeling distant from God, right? Maybe you're wondering, where am I? How can I feel dry? And I just, I'm just kind of out there. Or maybe over time you've just lost this sense of grieving and loving that your heart's kind of hardened. This morning, I just want to encourage us, stop and Take the time to really be honest. Say, God, is there anything in my life that's grieving you? Because I don't want to grieve you. I don't want to grieve you. Right? And 1 John 1.9 says this. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if God is saying, hey, yeah. You know this thing in your life right now that you're harboring? You know this thing in your life, this unforgiveness, this bitterness, you know this wrath, you know this... Whatever it is in your life, He knows. You know and He knows. Whatever it is, according to 1 John 1, 9, confess it. Turn from it. Make it right with God. And the Bible says what? He will forgive you. He will forgive you. Right? We want to be walking in the Spirit. How many of you just want to be walking in the Spirit? Just, right? Just enjoying that love relationship. Well, again, maybe today you've been focused on God being angry, and now He says, No, I'm not just angry. I I grieve over, I grieve. He grieves over us. Why? Because He loves us that much think about that you are loved so much that the god of the universe that your abba father he loves you so much that he actually grieves over your choices that's radical that's that's a love that i can't even understand Right, He wants the best for you. He wants you to be like Jesus. He wants to bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And when you choose, and when I choose to make decisions that are sinful and disobedient, it's not that he's just angry, he grieves. Why? Because he wants the best for us. How many of you as a parent, you grieved for your kids because you just wanted the best for them? Right? The grief was like, I just want the best for my son or daughter. I just love them so much. I want to pour into them. I just want them to make the right choices. I just want the best in their life. And when they didn't, it was grief because I wanted the best for them. That's, it was coming from a place of love, not just anger and wrath. That's how God, we got we to gotta look at this verse and say, man, I'm loved that much. I'm loved that much that the God of the universe, through the Holy Spirit, would actually grieve over me. I love that. It makes me just really stop and go, "Wow, I'm loved that much. I'm loved that much that the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit, would grieve over my my choices. Why? Because He wants the best for me. That's crazy." That is a crazy love, right? And I want to ask you guys, come on up. We're gonna we're gonna sing this song. It's called "Amazing Love." And if we're going to understand Ephesians four thirty, we've got to understand it in the context of God's amazing love, His grace. You remember that God initiated, right? It's unmerited favor. It's unmerited favor. The crazy thing is that under the old law, we would forgive in order to be forgiven. Under the new covenant, we forgive because we're forgiven. You see? Under the old, we're trying to earn God's love, earn God's favor, earn merit, everything from this angry, wrathful God. Under the new covenant, this is a loving, gracious God, and my heart is not to grieve him. This is what we're talking about when it comes to following Jesus. And so we're going to sing this song. You know, it's a familiar song Amazing Love. And here's the thing be real this morning. If you know there's something in your life that is grieving God at this second, right now, don't, don't worry about anyone else. Don't worry about anyone else. This moment, ask God to search your heart and you say, Father, are you grieved right now and something in my life? Are you grieved? And if he points out something, confess it right now. Receive his forgiveness. Make it right. And after this song, we'll, we'll take communion.